Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Blog, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the players at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And we have a great episode for you today. Yes, we do. Uh, featuring Rich Howard, who is a game designer who's come up with a whole bunch of different things. He's got his own websites and stuff. And, and w when he's on, I'm sure he will he will say a whole bunch more about that stuff. But we are going to be focusing on aquatic campaigns. Yeah, that's one of that's a big passion of his. And, yep. Uh, it's a great interview. Uh, we're excited for you to hear it. Yep. Um, we share a lot of great ideas. Rich has a lot of amazing ideas. And uh, we didn't know this before we interviewed him, but he is a marine biologist, so... For aquatic campaigns, man, he is an expert. Yep, he so, knows a lot about it. And a lot we are, of great stuff coming I, up. I learned a lot from just talking with him. You learned a lot yep. from just talking with him. And I, Rich brought us to class today. He, he did, but in a very, very <laughs> good, a good way. way yeah. yeah. And and I think for a lot of people, aquatic campaigns is like, it's kind of scary because it's like, we don't know what the heck's going on with these things. Oh, yeah. And that was my mindset yeah. when, like, when he originally said, hey, I'd love to do something about aquatic campaigns. I was like, all right, I don't know how much stuff there will be on aquatic campaigns. There's a freaking ton yeah. of stuff about you really, you really, sh we really have a good interview on how to open the mindset of don't be afraid of them, of afraid of aquatic campaigns, but embrace the amount of stuff that one of the points he'll make is you can have really old players that have played for a long time and throw them stuff that's aquatic stuff and they're going to have no, no idea. idea. Yeah. No yep. idea. So it's it's a great interview. I'm excited. It is. It's it sweet. is very good. But as usual, before we get into the rest of the episode, we want to give a shout out to some of our faithful listeners who have gone on iTunes and given us a five-star review. And so, first one, starting off, Keep Making Episodes by Half Orc Cleric. He gave us five stars on January 1. That was a good way to start out the year. This podcast has given me so many great ideas. Thanks so much. Keep making top tens. Hashtag Magic Mark. Yeah. So it's starting to catch on. <laughs> Great, magic Mark is starting to catch on. Yeah. So that was awesome. mine. Mitch, Mitch, go ahead and tell uh, you. The stories. next one is entitled Master Work Fine, which I love that. Yeah. And it's by Turnt. And he says, I found your podcast last week and have now listened to them all while going to and from work. I've played D&D &D on and off since 1979 and just recently got back into it playing 5th edition. Your show has really been a big help in getting the creative juices flowing for my first campaign after completing the Minds of Fendelver. Can't wait for your next podcast. Love story time. And it's signed Liberty Jack. So I guess that's his other calling Yeah, card. right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Liberty Jack. It's good to... I'm, I'm excited by our listener base being new DMs, old DMs, returning DMs. People who are interested in yeah. DMing, all that stuff. Thank it's, you guys both for yep. those... For those five-star reviews. Yep. So, without further ado, let's jump into the episode, and we'll start with story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments, what we learned about ourselves, and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. All right, so for today, for story time, we are going to delve in, we're going to dive in, if you will, to some of our own uh, aquatic stories. Uh, one in particular was one that we had in our one of our past campaigns, the Sons of Bastion, that DM Mitch, you, you DM'd for us. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about the one kind of minor interaction, kind of the first toe entering into the water, if you will, <laughs> yeah. uh, of what we're going to be talking about, aquatic. Yeah, we, uh, we talked a little bit about it in the interview, but um, so... 
hashtag Magic Mark was playing this. Basically, in my Sons of Bash campaign, each of you had three three characters that you played at different points of the campaign, and we've talked about how the Guild House uh, before that Bastion's Guild House was a floating island in the sky, and it was over this lake. Well, when their enemy guild broke in, it, it totally destroyed the place, and this Guild House plummeted out of the sky into the lake and sank. You guys jumped off, swam to shore, and were a couple of the survivors left from this massive battle in which the Sons of Bastions were, Bastion were just devastated. Yep. Now, Mark, Ma- Magic Mark was playing this one character. He was the only character that actually could breathe underwater. I don't remember what his race was. We were I, trying to rack our brains. It was it. really convenient because we had... At yeah, that it was time, so had, convenient. It was, he had no clue that this was going to yeah. happen. And it was just like, hey. <laughs> yeah, because we had like 12 different characters, I think, that were playable because I think we had four of us. There was like three of each or five of us. There was three of each, whatever it was. And we had three different quests that we had mm-hmm. to go and do. One was go somewhere, one was go somewhere, and one was go to the guild house. <laughs> go somewhere, go somewhere, go somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, go somewhere, go somewhere, go somewhere. But one in particular was go to the guild house, which had sunk. It, it See if there the was water. anything you guys could salvage from yep. that yep. sunken. And guild it was house. convenient that he could breathe underwater. Yeah, because you guys, you guys had a group go with him and reach the edge of the lake, and we're like, all right, we can't go any. Yeah, further. we can't go any further. We don't know. Uh, we're, so, gonna, we're gonna drown. Yeah. So his. His character dives in. We talked about his character on uh, Geek Wars. I think he, I want to say his name was Kith. Yeah, it was uh, Kith. So yeah, 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 yeah. So his name was Kith. We don't remember what race he was. Like some kind of aquatic race or half aquatic race. Jumps in the water, starts swimming down. He's he's swimming down. He sees one of his old PCs who had died. Yeah, a yeah. rocks uh, named Parthenos just floating dead. With and there was like, a lot of lot of people we knew that were floating around. Yeah, that he had he, died. he yeah. sees all of these uh, past. Guild masters and things that he's swimming past them, and he's swimming to the underground guild house. And he had to roll a spot check, and he crit one. And I gave him another chance, and he got like a crit one again. And I gave him another chance, and he did terrible. And so he's swimming, and he's no, he knows player wise something's there. Because obviously he has to do a spot check, but he doesn't know what he's getting himself into. If push comes to shove. Mark rolled terrible that night. <laughs> yes, he and did. end of the story was his failed spot checks led to him being ripped to shreds by a croc sharktopus. Half, oh, I shouldn't third. <laughs> yeah, now I'm thinking of a uh, man bear pig. Half oh, man, yeah. half bear, half pig. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but ha- so croc sharktopus, half croc, half shark, half octopus. <laughs> Obviously, a third. Right. Uh, but yeah, this big mutant creature and. Uh, that's a whole other story of why those creatures were mixed breeds, but he just got ripped to shreds by this big thing. Didn't even stand a chance. He didn't even get to try and fight because he just he couldn't. He didn't see it coming and just got pretty much swallowed whole. And uh, I except think, for one little ear that floated to the yes, surface. Yes, I was going to say, it, what yeah. was it that like you guys are just watching? Caleb, I think one of them had a uh, Caleb had a, a hawk, a right? hawk that just he sent flying out around flying the lake. around and he th- he rolled a spot check and he got a nat twenty yeah. on his spot and check and he comes back holding this ear yep. of Kith and you guys are like, well, <laughs> I guess Kith is dead. Yeah, he held like, like a well, little funeral service yeah. without a, with his ear. I think we like burned his ear <laughs> like yeah. on this. Like, and I, it, we were all just kind of like, I'm not, I'm not going in there. Like, I don't know what the heck ate him. Well, you, I, one, I can't breathe. The, yeah, I can't breathe. You guys didn't even have a choice. Yeah. Like, it was like you couldn't even choose to go after him because right. you didn't have a a wizard with that party that could maybe cast something. You didn't have anything. Uh, so 
Uh, so Kith, we, Kith was gone. We really <laughs> didn't get to delve into much of an aquatic campaign no. other than him like swimming down there. We didn't get to go through any of the sunken guild house, see what it was like. It was just like, you swim down, you're eaten. Okay, what do we do now? Like, <laughs> crap, this sucks. Yeah. That was a, I was ready to do a, a battle on different, being able to swim up and down. Didn't even have to do it. Yeah. It, was, it was over in no time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that was that was a good, a funny, a funny experience. Mark was like, well, that sucks, but you moved on pretty quick from yeah. it. And, you know, like you said, we haven't played that much aquatic campaign stuff, We so we don't have that many stories, but that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, but good. as you will listen to our interview, you will see our growing interest and excitement to do more of that. So yes. hopefully listening to the future episodes, you'll hear story times where we just plunge into a whole new world. A whole new Oh my world. gosh. All right, if, let's... if Rich heard that right now, he would just laugh his head off. Alright, let's uh let's with yeah. no further ado, let's get to the interview. Let's get to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Okay, so for this episode of The Meat, uh, we, like we said, have a guest with us today, Rich Howard. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Uh, We wanted to give you this opportunity to kind of introduce yourself before we jump into talking about aquatic campaigns and just tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience in role-playing games, and what you're currently doing, what you have done. So, Rich, take it away. Tell us about yourself. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I really enjoy the podcast, and it's a, it's a pleasure being on. Thank you. Uh, so I started gaming in 1977, 78. I was uh, one of those early grognards. Uh, actually, <laughs> I was about seven or eight when uh, my mom used to make my brother take me to his D&D game, uh, which is not something he wanted to do as a 16-year-old. <laughs> sure. Um but after you know going game after game after game, they finally gave me a little first level uh, first level elf wizard back when they were one shot magic items and uh, walked start, into you like started off with the wizard, huh? Yeah, I started with That's well, what I mean, I back up. in the day. It's like what well, you got you got like one you got one spell. What is it? I got sleep spell. Sleep. <laughs> I, don't, I was I was sleep eight. Sleep spells one of the best do, spells right? you got right? as a wizard starting off. Well, yeah. it it turns out that they like kicked the door in and there was like sixteen goblins or something in this room and and you know here I'm eight like bouncing up and down in my chair going you know can, can I cast is it's good time can I cast this spell now can I cast it? So I I rolled like the two d eight for the whatever it was, two to 16 hit dice of whatever fell asleep. I rolled two eight, 16. They all crashed out. All the guys <laughs> nice. are up in a big uproar, and I was like, and they I'm wanted you back the, ever since. I'm playing this for the rest of my life. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So in reality, if yeah. you wouldn't have done that, you may not be where you are now. You may have hated RPG Yeah, I'd have rolled two twos. Yeah, the D8s are all, have always been my favorite dice ever since. So. There you go. Sweet. Um, yeah, so uh, after that, I got into I did the you know the basic when I was ten. Um, picked up champions when I was fourteen, like back in '84. Um, big superhero fan. Um, I don't want to hear any smack oh, talking about DC, by uh... the way. While I'm on today, <laughs> I don't know if I can help myself, Rich. <laughs> yeah, past those past those parts, I have to tell you. <laughs> But yeah, big DC fan, uh, big uh, superhero fan. So played that for a long time, fantasy hero, and then. Uh, 
I didn't get back into into D and D again. I played through second edition, but didn't get back into it until third edition with the open gaming license, okay. like a lot of us did. And then, uh, yeah, played a lot of sci fi as well. Um, Blue Planet, which we'll talk about a little bit later, which right. is a um, sci fi aquatic setting. Uh, ran a werewolf LARP in the world of darkness for a couple nice. of years in Orange County. Thank so you. I've done done quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, across the uh, across the genres. Very nice. Awesome. Yeah. And so what are you working on right now? Uh, well, you've you've been actually doing writing and game designing, and uh, what, yep. what does that look like in your life right now? Uh, busy. Busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Understandable. And a, 16, and a 16-month-old, so she likes to hammer on my keys when I'm trying to... <laughs> so if we see any of your writing with errors in <laughs> yeah. it, it's probably your 16-month-old. Yeah, I'm totally going to blame my 16-month-old. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's Rich who's Sorry, got the errors, months. and she's the one who's doing she's it. She's the one correcting <laughs> Right. Right. Um, yeah, so uh, I have two uh, regular columns right now on a, on a website called tribality.com. One's called From the Depths, uh, where I'm doing a lot of uh, – that one's focusing a lot on fifth edition conversions right now because there's a lot of opportunity for that. I mean, they don't have a lot of books out, so people are pretty hungry for material. Yeah. Um, but later on, after these conversions and new races and whatnot get done, I'll be um, talking a little bit about some of the stuff that we're talking about now, so doing uh, – talking about uh, how to run aquatic campaigns, why you'd want to run an aquatic campaign or adventure or whatnot, and make it interesting for you to kind of shake up your games. Uh, the other uh, – <clears throat> sorry, the other um, uh, column is called Rich's Game Room. It's a pretty general catch-all. And then I do a Behind the Screen is another uh, periodic column that I do talking about uh, game design and where things come from. Awesome. Yeah. And then I have my own website, uh, gameschangelives.com, where I do a lot of uh, talking about uh, game reviews and some of the same stuff I talk about tribality. I better try and separate them as much as I can. Cool. And then as far as designers is concerned, uh, I've done a few books for Rogue Genius Games, Owen Stevens, who works for Pies, uh, Rogue Genius Games. I'm doing uh, Ultimate Shaman. Uh, with uh, Christina Stiles for Misfit Studios. Okay. That's supposed to kickstart sometime in a few months. Uh, they just finished uh, Ultimate Witch and Warlock with Tim Brannon. And then I'm also doing uh, uh, Wolfgang Bauer. I'm doing some conversions for his Southlands Pathfinder setting, converting nice. some of that stuff to 5th edition for him for his website. Right now, it's just going to be for the website. We don't have an open gaming license for 5th edition yet, so we're still all kind of up in, uh, up in the air trying to figure out what Wizards is going to do with that. Sure. Yeah, I know there's a lot of talk around that right now, but nothing solidified as yeah. far as what it is. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of theories going yeah. around, so we're all just kind of, you know, I you know, I talked to a bunch of people and we're all kind of like, well, I'll sit down and wait and see what the OGL is, but I can't, I just can't write stuff down and just sit on it, so right. I just, that's started uh, posting a lot of the stuff on uh, Games Change Lives, and then uh, the guys at Tribality tracked me down and started doing some stuff with them, and uh, it's been great. So, you know, maybe eventually if they get an OGL, we'll be able to combine all this stuff together and maybe be able to make a, a dollar or two off of it. That'd somewhere. be awesome. Yeah, yeah. well, um, we encourage you guys to check out all those sites. We'll put links to them in the show notes for all of you guys to go and check out some of uh, Rich's work and tribality.com and uh, all the good stuff happening there. I think it's sweet that you guys are kind of, uh, you guys are just jumping right into 5e and working on new new races and things like that for like you said yeah. there's not a lot right now out there for that so uh, you're kind of giving that taste to the people who are playing it and loving it and want more and uh, yeah it's good to get a we good do start a lot, on that <laughs> yeah we do a lot of uh, system agnostic stuff too yeah. so John Perkins does some crazy stuff on survivalist gaming and uh, one of his recent articles 
playing in a wonderful way. You really want to drop your players into the thing he wrote. Sure. So, yeah, go check it out. Cool. Yeah, awesome, cool. All right, well, let's dive in, shall we, to Aquatic Campaigns. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of those puns today. Yeah, it'll, be, it, it'll be good. That's okay. Our listeners love it. <laughs> All right, so um, running an aquatic campaign, this was something that you, Rich, came to us and said, hey, I'd love to do a podcast about running aquatic campaigns, something that you've you've been right now working a lot on uh, yourself. Yes, yeah. like a lot of uh, working on a lot of different races and ways to run aquatic campaigns. You just... You told us that you have a friend who's run a campaign for 10 years that's an aquatic campaign, which is absolutely yeah. crazy. Um, yeah. And so, and you've been running, you've run aquatic campaigns before, uh, so yep. this is kind of a passion of yours right now, and you wanted to talk about it, and we were like, of course, that sounds That'd sweet. Awesome. And aquatic awesome. campaigns are, I would probably say aquatic campaigns are probably pretty rare amongst RPG players. Like, it's... And there's reasons for that, and we will yeah. we'll talk about those and hopefully ways for people who are maybe afraid of doing an aquatic campaign to, to get over that hurdle. But um, I guess the first question, so sure. uh, Rich, let's, let's hear from you. Why in the world would you ever want to <laughs> run an aquatic campaign? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a fair question. So a little bit of, about my background, I have a degree in marine biology, and... Uh, it's unfortunately not what I'm doing for a living now, but that having that degree showed me this world that we don't dive into. It is a ripe arena for adventure in a way that uh, a lot of a lot of gamers don't grasp or understand. We can understand going to space in a sci-fi game, but we yeah. don't understand like going underwater and what that looks like. Um, and we have the advantage now of having um, a lot of say documentaries like. Um, uh, the BBC Blue Planet documentary or James Cameron's done a couple of things yeah. recently, the Aliens of the Deep. We can get a view of these things, and it's good material for us to be able to use to be able to show to our players who aren't familiar with that particular environment. But it, there's new, all kinds of new villains you just don't run into. We've got all these aquatic like, monsters in any game that you just don't see very often, right? Yeah. So how many times right. do you run into an aboleth? Right? <laughs> Not very often, but they are no, awesome. <laughs> they are awesome, right? Yeah, so you got this monster that's sitting there. It's these psionic Cthulhu-like horrors from in Pathfinder. They ruled the world at one point and went to war with the Mind Flayers. It's these great campaign concepts. If you run into an Abolith, it's like sitting in a slime pit, like in a cave, and it's all dry, and there's like nobody there, like unless you can get it into some kind of aquatic setting where... Right. It becomes a dangerous, dangerous enemy. Right? I I love mind flayers. Like they are, <clears throat> they have played a huge part in my world. Yeah. And aboliths and mind flayers are like those two warring. They're always they hate each other because in a yeah. lot of ways they're pretty similar. They love similar, enslaving right? yeah. Uh, yeah. other in their minds lower forms of life and like you said, very Cthulhu esque. And yeah, uh, yeah, the aboliths are an awesome type of villain to use. Uh, that you that right. you would not run into running through the fields, yeah, forest or forgotten realms or something, <laughs> right? Or maybe you might run into some minions or something yeah. in a border town or like a uh, you know a fishing village or something, but right. you don't get that full you don't get that full effect of what they are and what they can do, right? And you got like the classics like the Sahagan, right? The Kuatoas in in fifth edition, the Marrow. I think they were. Um, underwater trolls in earlier editions but the marrow are now uh demonic former merfolk like they get sucked the, into another dimension 
I think now the aquatic trolls are called the scrags. Um, no, maybe the yeah, maybe the marrow. There, there's there's versions of the the trolls and the uh, and ogres that are yeah. aquatic. And, and, and those had, to me are yeah, I know in the crazy in like, the fifth edition monster enemies. manual, there's like six pages dedicated to the scrags themselves. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Krakens, which are one that people most of the time people think of it as just like oh, it's just a giant squid, but that's your Kraken from from myth is this intelligent creature with magical powers that can control weather and is enormous. Like, yeah. you know, it it can be this super intelligent, almost I, I think of them almost dragon like, you mm-hmm. know, in their like intelligence and their power. And then of course the aquatic dragons, right? So I ran one game that uh, the the dragon they ran into that was an aquatic game was a was a uh, dracolich. Hmm, sure. Right? Doesn't need to breathe, right? So they ran into this yeah. this dragon body that had fallen to the, you know, the bottom of the sea and had been raised by a hag that was a necromancer <laughs> uh, into this thing and, you know, they it's not what they were expecting. Yeah. But I mean, you can run I mean, blacks, black dragons, greens, bronze, golds. Yeah. You know, they're all, they're all they're all amphibious, you know. And then whether you're running in a swamp game for like a black or Yeah. And then you got you got the dragon turtles as well. You got <laughs> right, right. Uh, which I've always right loved. Those guys. You, you got, just had one in one of your or no, you just had a big turtle in your in one of your yeah yeah. Right? That was yeah. not a dragon turtle. <laughs> you guys would not have lived through no, that at, at that point if that was a dragon turtle. <laughs> um, you got uh, you know you're talking about uh, uh, dragons in the sea, but then you just got the idea of like sea serpents as well. Um, yep. And uh, you even brought up like oh some people think. That the kraken is just a, is just a giant squid, and right. uh, with krakens, like the one thing that I always would say is, uh, if you're if you think about a kraken, uh, there's never a point where I would say, oh, you're making him too big, because krakens to me are like the bigger they are, <laughs> in right. my yeah. in my opinion, like that's just even there. I always think of them as a colossal, colossal creature. But even the giant yeah. squid, like even creatures that live in our own personal world yep. on here on earth like you yep. you said something before about like uh you you mentioned like aliens of the sea or something and like you see some of the creatures that live way down deep in the ocean right and they are so weird looking and so strange yeah and are very wash up on yeah, beaches yeah. very D or pathfinder or rpg monsters in themselves that could fit very well into your games you have sharks yeah um, you throw a couple uh, marrows riding on sharks. That's a great encounter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like just crazy. actually, there there is a real life creature called a goblin shark. Look that I up. saw that. Yeah, I saw they found shark. it in like Tokyo yeah. or something, like, or not Tokyo, but it's Japan, a, I think. Yeah, they've got some recordings of them in there. Oh, um, do they? Yeah, they'll freak. They'll freak you out. Yeah, yeah. they're they're really <laughs> um, funny looking, but they're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're absolutely right. There's a ton of stuff that you can use, particularly really deep water deep water stuff we'll talk a little bit later about you know stuff like how deep light penetrates and that kind of thing and and where you want to kind of run your games but you know in general you have basically the equivalent of the underdark because there's a certain depth at which light just doesn't penetrate and where we used to think that you know back in the late 1800s they used to think that there was no light below about 500 feet because of the pressure and the cold and whatnot and of course we know that's not true at all so but the other thing you were talking about was size you know that's something you can't do in a in a in a surface game as well. If you have an open ocean combat, your kraken could be as big as a city yeah, if you yeah, want. Like, yeah. you know, you can have this giant thing. And when you're dealing with uh, players, you know, particularly um, 
say Pathfinder 3.5 players, you get to a certain level. I mean, those guys are superheroes, man. Yeah, you, know, you, you get... could you could as the DM one night decide you're fighting a kraken and tell your players, hold on a second, go in the other room and put on a kraken outfit. And then just sit on the table. <laughs> That's what you could do. You're big, big on out. Big on out. I would love yeah. somebody uh, like to send us an email with a picture of them just sitting on a table in a crack. In a crack and like suit. we play D and D tonight. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. You kind of you can like there there are definitely things that scare people about aquatic campaigns, um, but like thinking there's definitely pros even that you don't. You don't even think about, it. and that size thing is definitely something that yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely works Absolutely. to that advantage. You're not necessarily limited, no. um, but the other thing besides besides monsters, they, I mean, this we're just talking about fantasy, but later on we can talk a little bit about sci-fi and yeah, what we can do with that. And there's great settings for that. But sharks with lasers. There's also just <laughs> right, you Austin know, Austin Powers. <laughs> Seriously, sharks with lasers. What else do you need? <laughs> that, that's our Sold. Conversation. You Thank you for sharks with yeah, lasers. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is new environments, though. I mean, you know, of course there's the monsters that people, you know, fight, but I, I think a lot of people who haven't been out in the water, and I, I, I say this because I grew up landlocked in a small town in Kentucky, and then I moved to California, and the ocean was terrifying. To me sure. It's just mind-blowing yeah. what's out there. And that was kind of part of my draw to marine biology was because of this alien environment that's right here on our planet. But, like I said, some of the some of the documentaries, like... Um, uh, Blue Planet, the BBC Blue Planet, and Aliens from the Deep, they show these really cool things like these hydrothermal vent fields um, that can be poisonous with huge temperatures in it, trying to yeah. navigate through that to get to, say, a cave entrance or something like that. Like, how do, you, how do you maneuver those things? What lives there? What lives there in a fantasy world, much less what lives there in the real world, which is, there's a, there's a, there's a worm that lives with its body in temperatures in 300 degrees at one end, and the other end of its body is out in the ocean, which is mm. you know near or below freezing yeah. at the level they're at. So they go from freezing to hundreds of degrees of temperature in you know a few inches. It's crazy. That's nuts. So um, <laughs> that's, and that's that's real. <laughs> yes, that's real. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. That's not even fantasy. Like that's nuts. <laughs> a little bit of research can show you some crazy stuff that your players, particularly if you live in an area like, you know, in the Midwest or like where I grew up in Kentucky or whatnot, where people aren't, that's not an everyday thing. Right. Like, you can you can present these things and then they find out it's real. It's almost more horrifying than real. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Michigan, Michigan, about the scariest thing we have is lamprey. That's about all we got. <laughs> it's little nasty no, things. we have the Michigan dog, man. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Uh, it's Cryptozoology, but it's it's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> don't even don't don't look it up. I guess <laughs> there was a uh, there basically years ago there was somebody who wrote in a song to a radio contest or something, and they wrote this song about this Michigan dogman, uh, and it just like took off. And now, of course, as in with a lot of cryptozoology, uh, this funny joke became people going no really i saw the michigan dog man <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what michigan's nice. claim to fame as far as cryptozoology is <laughs> and they try to steal bigfoot <laughs> what's that you'll have a link you'll have a link to the line in the liner notes yeah. <laughs> check right. out the michigan dog dog <laughs> right. right. not associated with rich howard <laughs> oh, yes. anyway um yeah but there's, I mean, that's okay no worries Sean from Tribality says he likes a good 25% uh, uh, of, you know, kind of 
of extra stuff that's not focused right. on the Good. thing. We're just, we're just trying to please and, Sean, so that's all we're <laughs> I'm here, Sean. I'm here, Sean. We're going to, we're going to veer off once in a while just for you. <laughs> that's right. Um, but there's also there's also like say uh, dead zones. So there's certain areas of uh, of the water where actual oxygen has been used up so much that fish can't breathe. So you get guild creatures or you know races or whatever can go into these areas of dead zones that have been sucked of oxygen by microbes, uh, microbial blooms or whatnot, and they literally suffocate hmm. uh, even in water where you'd think there'd be oxygen. Sure. You could have, we're talking about these massive creatures, right? You get a kraken that dies and drops to the bottom, right? You have this huge carcass, right? So now you imagine, like, say, a, a coral reef that's either artificially or magically grown over the framework of this thing. You've now got this cave complex underwater that could be, again, like, like the hag necromancer. You have that thing, the, the, the body of it kept alive. You have this creepy living internal cave structure that's filled with water and who knows what down there that's used as a you know as a structure there's a yeah. there was a there was a dragon magazine a series back when there were still paper um they were talking about uh, it was the gith yankee war hmm. so uh there was the gith yankee war they talked about in this uh, kind of campaign you could run in this dragon magazine but they were talking about the dragon uh, the uh the Lich Queen, the Githyanki Lich Queen's main city was built on the body of a dead god that was floating in the, uh, in the astral plane, uh, which to me always was, all I can think about is like this huge thing in the ocean, the same yeah. equivalent, like a crazy, creepy, you know, um, dungeon crawl to go into. Um, there's a guy, uh, a cartographer, his name's Chris West uh, from mapsandmastery.com. He does a set of tiles, map tiles. He created this living bio ship that's supposed to be used for like a science fiction setting. I love using that thing for the creepiest dungeons. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it's just nuts. Yeah. So the, and it's perfect for some kind of aquatic, you know, just to take it to that next kind of Cthulhu creepy level for whatever you're running. Yeah. So those, those are all like really amazing. I loved the concept of the dead zones that you were sharing about. Uh, yep. Just the, like that moment when you're playing an aquatic campaign with players that have all picked races that breathe underwater and just going, you're finding it hard to breathe. <laughs> like right. that reaction yeah. of, wait, what? <laughs> what? Exactly. Yeah. Right? Not something you normally think of. Yeah, definitely thing, have you ever not. Heard of a, have you ever heard of an underwater lake? I have. I don't know anything about them. I know I've heard about them. But... Yeah. Really bizarre bit of bit of physics. So um, there are certain areas underwater where the uh, the salinity, so the, the the salt content of the water itself is heavier than the surrounding water, or the chemical content that's dissolved in that water is heavier than the rest of the water, and it literally looks like there's a lake underwater. It's a different shade. It's a different sheen. It'll have uh, tides. It almost looks like tides washing up. You have uh, living creatures that are living along the edge of it, just like it is. Huh. It's like it's like bikini bottom SpongeBob. I was gonna say that sounds a lot like SpongeBob. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. but uh, in a, in a kind of just your your brain has a hard time wrapping around what it is that you're seeing the first yeah. time you see it. I, I think I'm pretty sure they had something they they showed that in um in Blue Planet the BBC thing, but okay. uh, I think Aliens of the Deep also had that. So those kinds of things you can present to your players and they just their minds are going to be blown, yeah, right? Because it's there's like, a whole because it's bizarre, of the... and then to to be able to after the campaign even just say after that night just say guys you know that thing we saw like that's in real life <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. right like that's exactly. that's just crazy and I think like 
that's part of the like why run an aquatic campaign that to me is part of the draw is we've talked about creatures that you can come into contact with whether they're real or fantasy creatures um, or sci-fi creatures we talk about environments and things like that and to me there's this huge mystery surrounding the oceans big large bodies of water like the deep you go to if you're like playing in a we'll, we'll talk about it in a fantasy campaign since you go to a tavern and you're you're going to a different land well you can ask the people in the tavern like uh, what have they heard about that land what kind of creatures live in that land and for the most part you're gonna be able to find people who can tell you certain things about you know you gotta watch out for this kind of creature or this kind of creature you have to be careful about the kinds of environments in that kind of land but when it comes to diving down into the ocean for whatever right. reason or a huge lake or whatever it is there's this mystery of we don't we have no idea what you're going to find down there like well, I think one thing why would you go down there like yeah a lot of times when you do like a fantasy campaign is you run out of ideas because people have seen everything right. they played for years whereas aquatic campaigns yep. the stuff that we talked about those five things or six things you could have tons of different variations of those within your world yeah. and every single time you come up against them people are like that was the coolest thing i have ever yeah. experienced and it's like that you know we talk a lot about like creating plot hooks to hook your players in or whatever finding those things are plot ho or are hooks enough to get people yeah. to stick around and play more because it's like yeah. what else are we going to find down here this is crazy absolutely well if you'll allow me a uh, back in my day moment, <laughs> go um, you know when you when you start when back in the seventies and eighties when you the first time you fought a troll it was freaking horrifying man right like you you cut so you cut this I've got a I've got a vorpal sword right you can't mess with me oh wait its arm is coming after me now <laughs> yeah, right? right now its leg is coming this thing is not freaking dying <laughs> and you don't know that fire or acid are the only things that kill it at that point in time <laughs> right exactly you haven't right? read the so monster like, manual right. as a player right. Ugh, makes exactly. me so mad <laughs> right. Right. So I mean, you, that it's exactly the point. Like you're you're even again like the 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 gnarliest grognard, you can throw stuff throw stuff in the in the adventure and they're not going to have a clue what the thing is, right? Yeah. So particularly if you get inspired for cross genre. So um talk about the Blue Planet sci-fi setting has a uh, has a monster manual equivalent called Natural Selection. You pull some stuff out of that and you throw it in your fantasy game and do some conversions. Your people are going to be like, "What the heck is this? Yeah. Like, and how do I deal with it?" And yeah. suddenly, you've got like a whole new, fresh campaign. And if you have new players, it's all good anyway. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a good one to hook a. Uh, if you have an, like an eight-year-old child, just throw them up against like mysterious creatures from the deep and just watch them have nightmares <clears throat> for days. Hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? You think I haven't done that? <laughs> Rich is sitting on his table in a Kraken outfit. Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. Well, when when we talk about aquatic campaigns, there's some basics that we have to start out with. And Rich, you know, coming from a marine, marine biology background, you know a lot about these basics. And the first one is pressure. So what do we need to know about pressure? Well, when I, when I talk to people about aquatic campaigns, a lot of times they're really intimidated. You're right. So there are some basic kind of concepts they bring up. Like they know the idea that, well, it's a lot of pressure, right? Right. But uh, if you think about it, if you're, in, if you're in space in orbit, the difference between the pressure inside of, say, the space shuttle and outside, the difference is one atmosphere, right? One atmosphere of pressure in the space shuttle, zero atmospheres of pressure in right. space. Well, when uh, when James Cameron went to the bottom of the Marianas Trench 
he was in 1,100 atmospheres of pressure. Jeez. Yeah. So that's an enormous amount. Like the, the equivalent of that is taking the Eiffel Tower and flipping it upside down <laughs> and putting the point of it on your toe. Oh, yes. <laughs> and now ha- that's, that's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now do that with enough Eiffel Towers to cover every square inch of your body. Oh, right? Yes. So it's a huge amount of pressure, but it, which is intimidating for people because they don't know how to handle that in a game. Right. You can either handle it or you can not handle it. Right. Right. So the way that it works is at the surface of the water, you have one atmosphere of pressure. It's just the atmosphere of, you know, our air. Uh, every 10 meters you go down, so every 33 feet or so, it's another atmosphere. So you can go just 30 feet down and you now have double the pressure on you that you had at the surface. Um, if you're free diving, for the most part, if you're free diving, that's not really going to affect you very much, right? But if you're scuba diving, uh, that can be a, a whole different story. Sure. So um, there's uh, there's a reason why you have to go through a scuba diving class, for example, and do all these calculations, figure out how long you can stay down and that kind of thing. Because if you imagine a full tank of air at the surface, right, that's under pressure, if you go down just 33 feet, that pressure in that, the, the air in that tank now gets crushed down to half the size, right? Because it's two atmospheres of right, pressure pushing right, on it. Right. So when you take a breath that's the size of your own lungs, you're actually taking in twice as much air as you would if you were on the surface, right? Gotcha. If you go down another 10 meters, you're now doing three times as much air, right? Mm-hmm. And that becomes an issue because, uh, and we'll talk about this maybe in a minute, or actually we could probably just bring it up now, is the idea of the bends, right? See, people have heard of the bends. When you have a lot of air, in this particular case, uh, nitrogen, right? So oxygen and nitrogen are in everyday air. When you're under pressure, that nitrogen can can go into solution in your blood, right? It just dissolves under pressure. And when you're taking a breath in, and you're taking in three times as much air as you would at the surface, and you're under pressure, you have all this nitrogen that's being dissolved in your bloodstream. Well, if you come back up, if you imagine coming back up really quick, that stuff's going to come out of solution, and suddenly it's like carbonated soda in your in your bloodstream, <laughs> right? So that's what the bends is. That that oxygen, or excuse me, that nitrogen bubbles. They tend to get caught. Uh, the pain tends to happen in your joints, and so people like curl over in a fetal position, and that's what they call it the bends. And it's excruciating, gotcha. and so the body can get that out. Hopefully, it can kill you because it can cause what's called an air embolus uh, as well. Um, but that's why people go to these, these pressurized tanks at hospitals and they put you back under pressure again. So all that goes back into solution and then they slowly bring you back up so you can breathe off that extra nitrogen. Now, the reason I bring up all this stuff is kind of like this complicated thing between pressure and air and everything else. But do you need to worry about it is the question if you're running a, running a game, right? If you have characters that are already breathing air, like a fish, a fish doesn't need to worry about nitrogen narcosis or, or the bents, Right. It's designed for a certain for a certain depth that it can be at. If you're talking about a science fiction game, then yeah, you might want to think about it. Or say a modern modern game. There was right. a, a, another BBC series called uh, The Deep, which was actually really good. It was a mini series uh, as well, Mini Driver and some other actors that I, I recognized. Um, if you have somebody in a submarine in a modern setting and they you know shoot to the surface, that can cause a lot of medical problems. So then it becomes an issue of like the drama can be we need to get to the surface because we're running out of air or whatever, but we can't because if we do, then we we may have some other issues, right? 
So finding some other ways around that. In a magic setting, you can kind of hand wave some of that. I, I encourage people to try not to hand wave all of it because then it just becomes basically you could do a surface game where everybody's flying around right, instead of right. aquatic game, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the uh, the basics. Nitrogen narcosis is similar. You just have so much nitrogen in your system that you become drunk. So you may have heard that divers at a particular depth, that the, these deep divers, sometimes they'll just decide they're seeing someone that they need to see and that person is 100 feet deeper and they just keep going down and don't come back up. So that's that would why be you interesting just... to add into a campaign. Lola will save. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Lola will save. Yeah. Those are cons- the best DM. Yeah, constitution. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So then you start getting into the fantasy thing like, well, does the dwarf get advantage on that poison save, constitution right. save, because of the doses <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Um, but there are, there are various things. Now, free divers don't really need to worry about that very much because they only have one breath of air. So if right. you have some like a lizard folk that can hold their breath for 15 minutes, they're probably not going to be dealing with the bends because they only have that same amount of air they came down with they don't they're not breathing all this extra air into their system right, right? right. there's some theories that that free divers that hit like believe it or not on one breath 700 feet yeah there was there was a video of a guy uh, i think it was down by the bahamas that dove down in that big like sinkhole that opened up uh, yeah have you seen that video where he dove i think it was like no. 300 or 400 some feet or something down hmm. there and he's yeah. just like walking around and then he comes back up i was like this is <laughs> that's crazy it's nuts, right? But those people don't normally need to worry about. It. There are some theories now that there may be some effects of nitrogen narcosis even on a single breath. But uh, but you bring up a good point. Blue, those are called blue holes. Yeah, those yeah, that's, that's what across. it was. Yeah, those things, man. Yeah, that'd be such an awesome setting for a game. Like you got to go to the bottom of this thing, and you don't know how deep it is, where it goes, where the light is. Is there an abolith at the bottom? Like what? Right. You know, it could be an abolith layer at the bottom of a blue hole. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no. Uh, <for> sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stay out of the hole. <laughs> right. So that brings up some interesting things about light too. Rich, you have some things written down about yeah. you know various different depths of light and what that could possibly do. So sure. um, go ahead, explain some of that to us. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, light can only penetrate so deep. We were talking earlier about basically the equivalent of the, you know, the underdark, right? So, understanding how far light goes is important to kind of getting the atmosphere right of whatever you're running. If you if you want to run a pirate game or you want to run a game where people are just going down to a, you know, to a sunken ship or you, you don't need to worry too much about that, really. It's just sure. like day and night, right? Because the, the the what they call the the sunlight zone or the euphotic zone, it goes down about 200 meters, which is you know 660 feet. You only need to worry about having no light pretty much past that point. So you have the twilight zone, which is kind of a sketchy area between about 200 meters and a thousand meters or so, and that light amount of light is definitely going to be dim at sure. least, but it can vary and it changes pretty quickly. And it can vary because of, say, storms have come through. You have uh, blooms of, <laughs> yeah, blooms of, uh, of creatures, like say microscopic creatures at the surface, right? Well, they die. Also, you know, things have to go to the bathroom, right? So everything that's in the 200, you know, meter zone that has a waste product of any kind, whether it's a dead body or a decomposing body or waste products, that causes what uh, will be called snow. <laughs> so when you get down sure. to that twilight zone, you start seeing this like just progressive amount of this visibility limiting snow, and you don't really want to think too much about what that is when you're down there. Um, and then uh, deeper than that, after about thousand meters or so, then it's it's pretty much just pitch black. Like in in a cave, your eyes will never adjust 
level of black. There is no light to adjust to. It's like being in the deepest cave, right? Sure. So that's where the the fun stuff can happen, and particularly in a fantasy game, you start getting the you know, Zoe, the pretty common, like, thing we want to get on video in the marine biology world is a, is a, the fight between the, you know, the sperm whale and the giant squid, you know, down <laughs> at that depth, because that's kind of where the squid live, and and sperm whales can dive that deep, and that seems to be one of their prey, right? So they come up with all this damage on them, these giant sucker wounds that are in north size of dinner plates, and you're like, what did that How the heck? <laughs> right? So again, that's real. That's like not even a fantasy related yeah, thing. Right. So, so, but you can also have it be like things like again, we're talking about the aboleths or uh, an aquatic mind flare. Um, whole cultures could be living down there, environments living down there, aliens hiding down there. I think the whole premise of the movie The Abyss, another one of James Cameron's films, uh, is that there's this you know alien city that's living so deep we just don't know anything about it, and their entire technology is based on basically hardening water right and utilizing water so it can be an amazing place to be able to go down to and investigate and see what's down there if you are prepared but again you're dealing with a thousand atmospheres of pressure right. you're dealing with cold that's actually below freezing and the reason the way it can get below freezing without turning to ice is because you've got a thousand atmospheres of pressure crushing down on it right so that actually pushes it right back into being a liquid again hmm. um so you have to figure out ways to kind of deal with that you know, but again, sci-fi settings, magical settings, you can you can figure out ways to get down yeah, there. And, and as uh, you know, as a, the listener, if if you're listening to some of this stuff, at, like, and you're just like, wow, that's so sweet, I want to latch onto that and use that, use that in your campaign. And if you're listening to this and you're like, you're like, yeah, I don't want to have to think about that and deal with that. Well, I mean, like, the nice thing about fantasy is. You use you use magic and you can right. just you can come up with ways and and you can also give you can give your characters races that are able to withstand that kind of thing so it's not even a problem for you and it's really right. up to you as the DM of what you what you want to take away from that and I think it's like I'm learning a lot just about things I didn't know and uh, I didn't know you had the marine biology background yeah but that just like to me I'm like just like sitting here like I'm in class like that's like, <laughs> I'm like wow this is really cool yeah. I had no idea how I was like I thought this dude was just into underwater campaigns yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's really sweet to hear all like the science behind it and things that you can bring in like I would not have thought of if I was going to run an aquatic campaign thinking about all these scientifical things and right. um, bringing them in and using them and making them obstacles in my game but it's a great idea yeah really is yeah well, the the hopefully it doesn't sound like a lecture. No, it doesn't at all. No, <laughs> not at all. Good. I was Good. excited about the. <laughs> Good. Awesome. I always liked most of the classes that I had. Well, so. <laughs> the best the best science fiction and fantasy. I mean, you can you can you can tell me a man can fly as long as you establish that at the beginning of the story, right? Right. Yep. And you don't veer from that that that's a reality through the story. Then I'm fine with that, right? So if you can take little bits of science and you can introduce this into your game, or little bits of reality and put it into your game, it can ground even the craziest ideas, sure. right? And make this verisimilitude of what you're doing hopefully more real and more dramatic for the players, sure. right? Yeah, I guess right? like for me when I play in games, I uh, I never have a problem when if we're playing in a fantasy world, I never have a problem with going, okay, you can make sense of that. That being said, it is always imp more impressive to me if like you said, you can come up with something that it's like, 
that makes exact perfect sense of why that is the way that it is. And right. as as a DM, your players I think will appreciate it if you can give them good reason and explain why something mm-hmm. is the way it is, rather than guys, it's it's a fantasy game, just deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Don't ask me about it. Like it's magic, <laughs> well, which, which can be okay, but yeah. Well, the classic writing technique, right? You don't just say what you're seeing when you're writing a piece yep. of prose, right? You use all your senses. Right. And I think part of the challenge with being underwater is that people don't, who haven't been underwater or diving don't kind of know how to do that. Like, how does smell work, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't work very well, to right. be honest, right? Unless you're a shark or some creature that has a chemo sense that allows it to do certain things, right? Which then makes it really powerful. Yes. The right. fact that a shark can detect a drop of blood from a mile off is like a crate that's not the scent special ability 30 feet you know no, what i mean yeah, well, yeah. That, right and that but, makes like that you, that kind of thing it's like you get in a battle with something yep and you don't see any more enemy enemies around but you know that there are creatures that can do that kind of thing yep. and every drop of blood is going to be like oh my gosh guys we, we really got to think are about in this. trouble <laughs> like we might not be right this second but something's on its way. <laughs> yeah. Right. And if you don't pack that up, if you don't heal that in some way or whatever and get out of where that blood is now circulating through the water, then it doesn't matter. I mean, you're not going to sit and take an eight-hour rest right. waiting for the sharks to show up, right? And, you know, you could you could say that you have those kinds of things on the surface as well, but you're not usually worried about the, you know, the vultures circling around waiting for yeah. one of you to die on yeah. the surface. Yeah. But underwater, it's a whole different thing, particularly when you're dealing with you know, what we call megafauna, like, you know, like uh, the megalodon, which is the old prehistoric yep. gigantic shark, you know. Well, there was a documentary that proved that uh, the megalodon was real, right? Totally shark, Adam. <laughs> the megalodon was real. It was, yeah. So. yeah. Yes, 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 exactly. Oh, okay, I'm like, I'm like, wait. Yeah, but, I was wait. like, no, no did, do you mean, do you mean was, that um, there was one that was saying that shark it's week. like alive yeah, there was today? The, is that what you mean? It was oh, last year's Shark Week. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I was like, I, I was like, wait, yeah. what do you mean it was no, not last real? No, year, last year on Shark Week, they did like this thing where it started out and it was like, it's they started it out as like a real documentary, like we're searching for the megalodon, is it real? And then it just got super cheesy and super fake, and it was one of those like docufiction things where it's right. like, we're just exactly. gonna make the seem real, and then everybody got eaten at the end, and it was like, I just watched two hours to see no evidence of a. I was That's like, insane. I just got played. Yeah. I just totally got played. Yeah, with with maybe one exception, the docufictions kind of bugged me, but uh, we can get to that later because <laughs> yeah. there's a specific one I was gonna bring up having to do with this. I think I know topic. which one you're gonna bring up <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that a yeah. little bit later. But um, but yeah, so you're you're starting to get the idea already. Like you read one little thing about what some underwater creature can do, and suddenly you've got this whole different set of environments and dangers. Like, yeah, wandering monsters—they're all over the place. Yeah. Like the whole point, particularly if you're in an open ocean environment, it's basically the equivalent of you know the ocean's desert, right? So it's it's wide open. There's nothing. There's no environments. You might get an island once in a while. You may get some kind of volcanic um, terrain that comes up from the bottom. But when you're excuse me out in the open ocean, like we're talking miles deep. So there's nothing, right? right. So what what lives out there? Really, really big stuff, <laughs> and really, really fast stuff. Yeah, yeah. right. It's got to travel miles exactly. and miles and miles to get places. Yeah. Right, exactly. Makes sense. In uh, in the Blue Planet setting, they have something they call the lesser and greater whites, okay. and uh, they're they're not sharks. The greater white is 
something like four or five hundred meters long. <laughs> and the reason you know it's coming is because you can smell the the dying creatures that make its home make their home on its skin because it's so enormous right like its body itself is its own ecosystem and it, it's just nuts so you're dealing with these enormous enormous things that you yeah. can throw at people and again really fast things so right. you know people you know people most of the time you think of tuna you just think of what you pull out of the can but tuna are are brilliant and incredibly fast oh, creatures yeah. Right, and you get you get something that's even a little bit predatorial, out in open ocean, moving at that speed, with an, a huge you know flock of them. You've got visibility issues, right? You're, yeah. It's it's a swarm that's enormous, right? Moving so much faster than you, you don't even know you know what's happening. Right. So you can do some really really cool stuff. Clearly, I'm excited about. It. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that um, that brings yeah. us. Do, do you have anything else you want to say regarding no. that? Okay. I have a lot I want to say, but I think sure. I'm good on that, sure. that topic. So uh, I think that leads us into our next part. How can we use this in fantasy and campaign ideas for mm-hmm. for sci-fi and fantasy stuff, for yeah. adventures? So sure. we'll start yeah. off. You want to start off talking about fantasy? Does that work? Yeah, that's get into good. sci-fi? Okay. Yeah, I know. That's good. Cool. I mean, a lot of people listening to it, you know, listening to this podcast are doing probably more fantasy than sci-fi. Right, but. right. Um, so we've already talked about the my one of my favorite things, the whole Abolith kind of aquatic mind flare thing, not just because, you know, Abolith are cool creatures, but like you touched on earlier, they're alien in a, in a whole different way in the game setting, which is that they use psionics. Right. So there's no psionic system for 5th edition yet. Um, in in 3.5 Pathfinder, uh, there's, you know, the Dreamscribe Press's psionic system is, is pretty pretty impressive. Um, but uh, way back in the day, back in 3rd edition even, um, Steve Kenson did a, did a supplement called the Psychic's Handbook, and it has an entirely different setup for a psionic system that's skill-based. And it makes it not just a parallel to the magic system in you know, the, the standard game rules. So it can allow you to present psionics in a way that people don't even understand what's happening. Right? right? How do I counter that? That's not a fireball that's a psychic pyromancer's right. fireball, right? So you can take that psionic system, if you don't have it on the surface, maybe you can even introduce it to your game as only a subaquatic thing, sure. right? Um, the Cerulean Seas is an absolutely hands-down brilliant supplement for Pathfinder and 3.5. Uh, that system, that has everything you need. If you're running 3.5 Pathfinder games, just just pick up Cerulean Seas and, and, and all of its supplements. One of its supplements... Uh, is called uh, Waves of Thought, and it talks exactly about how you can have this, you know, psionic system that's actually probably a little more appropriate for an underwater setting than uh, a finger waggling, you know, verbal component using magic system, right? Um, So again, another reason, another way to, uh, another way to uh, bring something new and interesting and kind of creepy and bizarre into your games, right? Yeah. If you don't want to go that kind of crazy route, you can always do this the standard stuff, right? You get you get a treasure map to an island somewhere, but you have to, you know, on the way there, there's a storm, you know, maybe your your ship's torn up, you end up being just on a boat, you, you know, you, you maybe happen to have a few potions of water breathing or something, and then you so see your character's... Just you know, in case something like that would happen. <laughs> right, right. And then you then you 
present some other environments like they're running out of water, they can't drink the salt water, they're right. going to have to get out of the boat for some reason, they use the water breathing potions, you you keep them in that kind of one to two extra atmospheres of pressure range, you don't need to worry about have that to kind of stuff. try and find food, all that kind of stuff, yeah. Right, and then, you know, maybe they can actually even see an island, the island that's the target, and they just have to get through some of these things like, you know, sharks or coral reef or you want to use, you know, some of the races, Sahugan or Kuatoa or whatever, to get to that thing, just to kind of introduce people. And then when they get to the island, it's classic, you know, maybe Isle of Dread kind of thing where right. you're, you know, looking for your treasure. Yeah, we um, we played in a pirate campaign. I DM'd a pirate campaign. It was an orc pirate campaign. And uh, I I just like when you're talking about the, the treasure map thing and uh, treasure, like I thought of, like, you could even have, if you're wanting to do a pirate campaign or some kind of naval campaign, you could, what if there was another ship that stole your treasure or has right. somebody or something that you need and you're chasing after the ship, but before you get to the ship, whatever happens, the ship sinks to the bottom of the ocean. And now, yep. like you said, water breathing, potions and things yep. like that, you have to go down to that, down to the depths. And that's like part of my, part of the thing with the whole aquatic campaigns that I like is, even the idea of putting aquatic an aquatic adventure into a campaign that's not an aquatic campaign because yep. nobody expects it. Uh, having yep. uh, land creatures, <laughs> land races, having to dive down to the depths, and that's just that's a like that's a difficult hurdle. What we had the do you remember in the Sons of Bastion? Magic, yeah. Hashtag Magic Mark had to dive down to uh, <laughs> the depths of the sunken guild house. That didn't go too well. For no, him. yeah, the guild house that was floating in the sky fell to the bottom yeah. of the ocean, and we sent three people out to go and find it, and he got eaten. He was the by... one guy who could breathe underwater, so he thought it'd be a perfect idea to to head down. What uh, was he playing? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember what it was, he was playing. I don't remember what his race was. Was it a, was it a spell or was it a race? No, it was a race, but it was something he found. That, I think in that campaign, I was I was pretty lenient with. Uh, show me the homebrew race, and we'll let you try it out and see sure, how it yeah. goes. And so he, he dives down to the depths and he's just seeing all these dead bodies of past guild members floating around. <laughs> and we had him like roll three or four spot checks. Yeah. And he like crit ones like almost every single time. And he didn't even get a chance. He got taken out by a uh, a croc sharktopus. Crocodile, <laughs> shark, <laughs> octopus mix. That's a whole other story of why that thing was that way, but... It was a uh, that now, was, that was our 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 big first attempt at yeah. going underwater and it didn't end so well for no. Magic Mark. <laughs> no, I think he nat twenty on his last one, but it was like he had he like hadn't made any I, that, of the other ones. I so think he his like last turned. one was me just going. I just want you to see this yeah, thing before yeah. it eats you. <laughs> but and we found his you know, ear that, floating. That, that was it. That croc sharktopus is actually real. Really? I don't know about it. I don't believe it, you now. It totally is not real. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know, but I, I, everything was, up to this point is amazing, but I don't, you're starting to lose your credibility, there Richard. Was, there, was enough, there was enough of a pause for you thinking like, wait, could that be? What? Like, yeah. again. I'm pretty shows, gullible, so. That should, well. You've well, built you, up trust with me, and now I'll never <laughs> trust you again. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, but that, you see what I mean? Like, yeah. this environment is so alien and new that people will be like, wait, no, really? Like, no, that can't be right, you well, know? As long as but they're it, as gullible as me. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Exactly, yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, those are that's a great it's a great campaign idea. You have a setting or a place, an island, a location, a city on a uh, – there was a um, 
I mean, maybe maybe treading light ground here, but so there was a uh, there was a DC comic storyline, an Aquaman storyline, where San Diego uh, actually was was destroyed. It was torn into the ocean. So all these people died, but a significant number of people suddenly started finding that they could breathe underwater, but only underwater, and they don't know why, huh. right? So you can take a familiar even town or like a fishing village someplace your your characters have been using as a as a regular setting for a little while with familiar NPCs. You know, you got a fault line that goes through there, or you have a magical something that happens, some cataclysmic event. Suddenly you've got this city is now underwater, right? You have to deal with either saving the people or maybe there's some kind of weird thing happening, like maybe an Aboleth has decided. Kind of like kind of the classic um uh Innsmouth Cthulhu thing where maybe these villagers are all descendants of Aboleth slaves and sure. have this genetic potential to be able to breathe water and does that make them good does it make them evil what happens to the in the innkeeper that you've been friends with in your campaign for a year yeah right you know, when suddenly you find out that you know his daughter or whatever that you had a crush on is really an Aboleth you know, descendant <laughs> slave you know you could do all that kind of stuff and 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 again you don't have to have it be very deep right you can just go you know 30 30 to 100 feet you don't really have to you can just easily hand wave some of these physical issues right you made a, um, and you made a good point there with um bringing up the aquaman uh storyline and um i think that that's a good point we, we talk about creation and inspiration all the time and oh where yeah. you get ideas from for your campaigns and maybe you're listening to this and we've talked about so much that hopefully you're not listening to this and thinking this but maybe you're listening to this and going I just wouldn't know what kind of story to tell in a aquatic campaign. Well, like you could look up something like an Aquaman story, or a if you want a better story, you could look up a Namor story. Or <laughs> <laughs> I just want to set the record straight. I don't hate DC. I just know Marvel is better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Who's getting a movie within the next few years? Oh gosh. Just, uh, I'm just... All right, let's look at how Marvel's doing and DC's doing. Let's just, okay. No, let's let's move on before this turns into a Marvel DC. Fight. All right. Uh, yeah, but like it's I adore Marvel as well. Let's put it out. Yeah. There. I was back in the Claremont '80s, '90s days. I can talk. I can I, talk both. I'll I just say threw this: a, Batman, Batman is awesome. Yeah, Batman is yeah. sweet. Can't get, yeah. and and DC. I will also say this: DC does a phenomenal job on villains. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> you're, I you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like that's that's yeah. you. You can grab stories like that from comic books and and all the and movies and whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And get those ideas from it. And we would just say, once again, uh, be inspired, don't steal. And it's especially really important if you have, like, if I was going to DM for you, Rich, and I pulled an Aquaman story, I'd have to be really careful that you weren't just sitting there going, I know what's going to happen next because I've read this comic or whatever. Yeah, that's fair. But, I mean, I know we're focusing on the DM, but that brings up a point about being a player, mm -hmm. right? So as a player, if I'm in this knowing that, I, that I'm familiar with maybe what might happen, you take a step away and you give the DM credit and you say, you know what, I'm going to enjoy whatever gets presented, however it's presented, right. because it's not True. going to be the same, right? right? Yep. So that's how to, that's how to, to me, it's how to be a better player. Yeah. Like we have a ton, we have, we have, there's a lot of books and things and, and your awesome podcast about how to be a good DM and be good to your players. 
I'd like to see some more stuff about how players can be better players yeah. for their other other group and for the DM as well. That's and a that good idea for a podcast, Chris. There we we go. do that. Done. <laughs> We're both players as Done. well, so we yeah. can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's you know we'll talk about a few other things. Like those are some yep. great ideas that you guys had too. Um, ghost ships, those are always fun, right? Oh, yeah. You got you can just go straight to the you know the classic parts of the Caribbean ideas, you know, for some for some stuff. Um, the uh, the TV show uh, Young Justice, uh, brilliant DC animated show. There's a couple of episodes that take place entirely in Poseidonus and Atlantis, which are sunken cities. You could use those for some vague inspiration if right. you want to do that. Of course, we talked about the shipwrecks. We already talked about like underwater giant carcasses and crazy stuff that you can do with that. But really, you can do any kind of basic thing that you would do on the surface, right? So you get a map, you know, even if you're an entirely underwater aquatic campaign with no surface races whatsoever. There's no reason why you can't do a map to a secret cave that you go through and it's yeah. a dungeon crawl, dungeon swim, whatever you'd call it. Right. You know, and uh, you can even have these underwater caves have pockets of air, which can have different, you know, standard surface creatures and other things. You can just do almost anything you can do on the surface. You can do submerge with just a different piece of flavor. Yeah, and if you're a, just, if you're a race that can only breathe in water and you have to go through those pockets of air, that's going to create a whole other yep. interesting dynamic for them. Yeah. Right. And there's there's actually an, that that brings me to the next kind of idea, which is if you have an entirely aquatic team, turn the whole thing on its head. You can none of you can breathe air. You can only breathe water. You have to get an item like, say, wave the art, the trident artifact. Right. right. From D&D, classic D&D. It's on the surface and some jerky surface dwelling <laughs> air breathers have somehow got their hands on it. and You need to get it. Right. So now do you have potions of water breathing or do you have potions of air breathing? And how do you get into this strange culture? And how do you move around if you're a merfolk with yeah. five foot? How do you of keep your skin moist and you everything would, like you'd that? You'd be walking too, yeah. around right. on land and now this as a as an aquatic creature, you're walking around on land and there's that mystery of what is up here and it's that mystery where to us as you know, humans who don't know anything like we're just like, Oh, that that deep dark depths of the ocean that's a mystery to me that's mysterious right. that'd be the same kind of feeling you'd feel like a real fish out of water i would think like water wow. <laughs> totally totally went there did you i went there <laughs> i try no it's totally it's totally true i mean and and how weird would that be for your players to like try and flip that on their head like they would hopefully if they're used to there being in a, at least even just a few games that are water, then they'd suddenly be looking at even a familiar environment with his weird eyes. Like, okay, we got in a fight. Where are the sharks coming from? Yeah. Right. Oh wait, there aren't any sharks up here. Wow. You guys have it easy, <laughs> yeah. you know, or whatever kind of way to look at your world a little different. Or if you need to, if you have a, like a saltwater specific race and they see a body of water to get back into and it's freshwater. I mean, that creates right. its own sets of problems too, that you have to try and deal with. So right. especially if they've never been used to yeah. freshwater, they're just like, Oh my gosh, water. I got to get back in there, and then they jump in, and it's like, oh crap! Now I got to get out. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> right. You mentioned exactly. like having to get an item, and that to me like opens up even a whole different door of uh, exciting things you could do with an aquatic campaign because there's there's way different items that you can come up with for a aquatic campaign. Like I was looking up in the Dungeon Master's Guide about like rules of playing an aquatic campaign and ranged weapons they don't work underwater when you're swimming right. underwater however why couldn't there be plenty of magical underwater weapons that they a bow and arrow that works underwater a trident that you can throw underwater um and it returns to your hand that'd be sweet uh but yeah, yeah. you can you can get items under a ring that makes you swim faster or uh, something that allows you to speak to a certain kind of uh, sea creature. Like there's all you've opened up this door for all these new items that 
maybe as a uh, I feel like I've I've given items in campaigns before that have been water related uh, and unfortunately it never gets used as much as it yeah. like as cool as the item is. However, when you're playing an aquatic campaign, you're going to be like that does what underwater? That's awesome. I want yeah. that. Yeah, right, or, exactly. or you have to have your your land if you're land creatures and you like the first half of your campaign is preparing for the second half of the campaign and you have to find all of your items yeah. so that you can successfully navigate through the underwater realm for that second yeah. half of the campaign. You can do a lot of stuff. Well, even back in the even back in the first edition days, um, there was the helmet of underwater action, right? So my very first made D and D character was a ranger and I even even way before I even thought about doing marine biology, I had a helmet of underwater action and a ring of free action. Just yeah. waiting for that adventure to show up and right. it never ever did. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh so even back then, I mean there was there was these ideas and there's a ton of these like I said, these monsters in the monster manual that are made for aquatic. How many of those do you ever use? Not, Not very lot, many. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of fresh material there, right, in the fantasy world. Right. Yeah. So well, let's talk about sci-fi a little bit. Yeah, go for it. So, um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can do sci-fi, and you can do if you're even if you're running like classic games, like a Star Wars RPG, right? Do you guys ever play Knights of the Old Republic? Or... Yes, we played a little, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like so to try the, it in the future more. Yeah. So Knights of the Old Republic, the um, there's the 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 video game, the original back in the day, not uh, what they what they call the MMO, the Old Republic. I yeah, think, the, I think they did the Old Republic, and then they tried something else before that, and it didn't work. Right. But so in the original, in the Knights of the Old Republic uh, game back in the day, they introduced this new aquatic planet called Manan, um, and they had this aquatic race we'd never seen before. But when I was doing a little research, I realized that the Star Wars universe has like sixty different like. They're they're expanded universe races, you right. know, for, for the most part. But sixty different aquatic races. I was like, are you kidding me? I've never heard of most of these. Well, because we haven't right? seen but, most of them in the movies and stuff. Right. Like that for the... They're maybe introduced in the novels. Yeah. But the, I mean, the classic ones are the 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 Quarans, which are kind of the squid faced, almost Mon mind player looking guys. Right. Yeah. The Mon Calamari, right? Admiral Akbar. Um, the rumor is, Episode Seven, Force Awakens, where we'll be going to their planet. So. I'm oh, really? excited for that. I hope oh. the rumor is true. <laughs> Wow, if it's not true, then um, I'm going to be writing terrible things about you online. Well, what are you going to do? No, no oh, press okay. is bad press, right? That's why, <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, I have always wanted to play uh, the Star Wars RPG as a Mon Calamari rogue, just so I can walk around and say, It's a trap! It's That's a trap! <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and even in Knights of the Old Republic and other video games, they're you know, aquatic things that happen down there that you can get some inspiration right. from, right? So um, uh, the uh, Clone Wars uh, animated series had three or four episodes in a row. It was like a three or four episode story arc that was entirely underwater. It was on uh, Calamar, the Mon Calamari. Yeah, it was right? with, uh, I don't remember his name, the smiley guy. The guy's always <sighs> smiling. The green Kit. Jedi. Kit Fisto? Yeah, yeah Kit it, Fisto. Right? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, sure. absolutely worst Star Wars name of any. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, and, and he's the coolest, particularly if you look at the, uh, the the old the Jendi Tartakovsky original Clone Wars miniseries that was done. They had an episode with him. These were only like three, four-minute episodes that they strung together. Yeah, they were on Cartoon Network, I think, right? Is what they were Man, on. Yeah. go back and watch that scene with him in it. He is using the force underwater, like in ways that I couldn't even imagine. Right. Like he is, he is manipulating the water around him. Um, it was, it was awesome to watch. And then, of course, in whatever episode three that I barely 
recognize he like walks in and the uh, emperor kills him in like three seconds. Or something. Yeah, like they just, he just dies. And yeah. like wait for him to have some really cool stuff. He is totally destroying like huge squads of aquatic stormtroopers yeah. in one flat, and he just gets gutted. Yeah, uh, that was a scene. Nuts. I'm like, I get that they wanted to show that the emperor was pow- powerful, but that was a battle that could have been so amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah it was mace window the same he was we were told from a movie after movie that he was supposed to be this well they're, they're on the jedi samuel council. jackson man <laughs> well and they're on the jedi council too so they're supposed to be these uh. super po- and it's like okay i understand the emperor is strong but 30 seconds and they're dead right. come on it's called yeah i call it warp syndrome so back in the old next generation like we're gonna prove that this alien's strong by beating up warp oh, well sure. we do it for seven seasons in a row and he never beats <laughs> anyone Suddenly, you know, when Counselor Troy snaps his wrist after being possessed by an alien or whatever, he's just not, you, it's not working for you. Right. And they, you could have, they could have done a whole scene where the the Emperor likes to play with people. <laughs> like, right. you could just mess around with them, but in the meantime, you could see them all do really sweet stuff. But, anyway. Yeah, oh, I have uh, one question was, for you. Yeah. I have one question yeah. for you. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, if I have to make a choice, you it would be Star Wars. Okay, yeah, yeah. Good. All right, we're yeah. on the same page. With that. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I saw it in the theater when I was my seventh, seventh birthday back in '77 with my dad, and my dad unfortunately made this joke with me. He was like, <laughs> during the uh, the Darth Vader oh, spoiler no. alert, right? Yeah, yeah I think Darth, it's past Darth, time. <laughs> the Darth Vader Obi Wan fight scene. My dad, I think he was joking. He was like, "Oh, Darth Vader's totally gonna win." And I was like, no way, that's not going to happen. And he was like, I'll bet you a dollar. Well, he totally didn't know what was going to happen. So he, I think he was horrified that he had now just like, <laughs> stolen a dollar from his seven-year-old. Son. That's awesome. And like, I was like, I was so, I was like, oh man, dad was totally right. And I think he was like, oh God. <laughs> and then he secretly gave it back to you on your birthday the next year or something yeah, like I that. Yeah, I keep trying to give him that dollar. I've been trying to give it to him for like four <laughs> That's a lot when you're seven years old. A I know. Dollar, man. That's crazy. That was like a hundred dollars or something like uh. that. <laughs> anyway, um, so so speaking of Star Wars, so back you can just do. I just did a quick search for like Star Wars aquatic races, and this website popped up, and it's like some Wikipedia aquatic sentient species, and there's like sixty of them in there, and you can get tons yeah. of ideas for different ways to do that for sci-fi. Uh, there you go, um, and then you then you read up on their cultures and stuff like that, and you start to grow this idea of what kind of thing to make. It's yeah, that's a perfect perfect idea yeah. for where to get inspiration yeah. from. Um, Mass Effect. Did you guys ever play Mass yep. Effect? I didn't, Brilliant. but my roommate in college played it a lot, so I have a. Yeah. I've seen one a lot. Of the, one of the best written things that's non-Star Wars, Star Trek, sci-fi ever. But the Hanar race there is actually this uh, basically a, an evolved jellyfish. Yeah, race. I remember seeing these. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool way of doing something really unique. Um, they're like really polite and everything too, aren't they? They're like they they are, but they have this great like alien mindset. They have a neural net, which is what um, what jellyfish have they don't have like a centralized nervous system like we do they have this neural net process they inflate themselves i think with some kind of lighter than air gas so they can float and then that allows them to bear their weight enough to move around with their tentacles like you could use that as a really interesting inspiration even just for npc you know an npc somewhere um there wasn't much in star trek really there's like the zindi enterprise season that had like the five different races one of them happened to be aquatic um 
so there's not really much on the Star Trek front, which is why I choose Star Wars over Star Trek, by the yeah. way. It's entirely aquatic-based. <laughs> I'm okay sense. with it, as long as you're making the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, there's a French RPG that I'm dying for an English translation of. If you speak French, you can go track it down. It's called Polaris. Hmm. Um, looks really good. Um, but my best, hands-down, favorite uh, setting for uh, kind of a borderline hard sci-fi aquatic setting is called Blue Planet, which I mentioned before. Right. Um, it was done by a small press company called Biohazard Games. Uh, the set, from a marine science standpoint, you cannot do better than picking this up and just getting the ideas for various things for your sci-fi game, whether you're doing a Star Wars game or you know whatever you want to do, or uh, like The Strange or Numenera, some of those new games that are kind of real heavy sci-fi focused. You can get great ideas from it. Um, but the uh, the way that they just talk about the planet, uh, the Blue Planet planet is. For example, it just had, it doesn't have any large land masses like we have on Earth. It's a lot of smaller islands, but one of the side effects of something like that is you don't have any large land masses to break up giant storms. So sure. when a tropical tropical storm hits our coast and breaks up, that's great. You don't have a large land mass like that. That storm can continue to grow and grow and grow into massive superstorms right. that don't get broken up until they collapse on themselves. That is a very terrifying thought process sure. when you're living on an island somewhere and how do you survive that and what do you do to, to survive those kinds of things sure. they have a lot of tech in there they talk about how um, different alien effects so for example on earth they have these things called bioplastics uh, hard as steel but they can push them into molds and they can make whatever you want and it's very convenient for earth they took it to poseidon this planet and uh, ended up there was this this microorganism that just loved eating it <laughs> so now all this tech that went there got screwed, right? right? And a lot of their a lot of their mechanical devices got screwed. So you end up having I won't talk about the whole history of the planet, but you end up having this almost um kind of firefly TV show like um primitive natives where all their tech had broken down and they're they're they've gone native and used to living on the planet with these uh more civilized people from Earth showing up with higher tech and this kind of level thing, almost like North-South Civil War, sure. you know, kind of level of tech difference, which can be a really interesting um, setting for that. Now, we're not even talking about subaquatic adventures at this point in time. You're just kind of setting up an environment that you can right. do things with. So in a sci-fi game, you can do things like um, uh, one of my favorite ideas. Again, I'm a big Firefly fan is to uh, have a setting like Blue Planet in a sci-fi setting where you have a bunch of islands, right? And there's some conflicts going on between the, you know, the, the civilized versus the locals or whatever. And you just have a group of people who have a ship that's a transport ship or like uh, an emergency rescue kind of ship where you get a group of people together. They have their own business. They go out after these giant superstorms or after attacks and wars or whatever, and they go and they're, they're there as independent contractors to help people out, to rescue, to do uh, scientific research in bizarre places that nobody's gotten to yet. So you have a scientist on board, you got a medic on board, you got, you know, maybe some Marines on board, you got a pilot on board, right? So it's a great, like, classic, you know, your group of adventurers heading out into the unknown, you know, maybe getting stuck somewhere, learning sure. more about the biology, blah, blah, blah. So you can do a lot of that. If you get corporations involved, like in the Blue Planet setting, there's... Um, it's kind of like the gold rush. In the Blue Planet setting, there's something called Long John. It's a, what they call a xenosilicate, like a, a foreign mineral that humans discovered that if they use this mineral in certain genetic processes, they can advance these genetic processes 
Uh, and they call it long john because it has a longevity process. So you can, you can, as long as you have regular long john treatments, you can basically become immortal. Huh. So the rich people want that. I like that. that. That's right? really cool. What they don't know is that the xenosilicate isn't natural. It was actually, this planet itself was actually engineered by this other race. And so it gets into nanotechnology and all this kind of stuff. But you, you have this long john, so these people who have no money are going out there like the gold rush trying to get these things. You have corporations that are coming into the planet. They want to battle for long john. There's a synthetic long john that gets developed, and it's being sold, and blah, blah, blah. You can do all kinds of stuff. I'm not much into, into politics in my games, but so much stuff that you can do with that kind of right. environment. And again, you can draw inspiration from you know, the California gold rush or whatever in history that interests you. Sure. you know, That's happened over and over again. Huh. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's what other kind of stuff. So scientific yeah. exploration, corporate stuff, survivalist stuff. There's there's quite a bit of stuff that you can do. Right. If you're already in a setting like Star Wars, there's a lot of already politics set up that you can, you know, draw inspiration from. So okay, so um, you know, at the when we first started talking about this, uh, I think it is a fair uh, a fair assumption that a lot of people have thought aquatic campaigns there's. I, I don't want to run that because there's a problem, and I can't seem to get over that. Uh, like, right. and and there's different problems that you know. Some of them are, to be fair, like it's like it could be hard as a DM to go, how do I come up with a solution for that? So, uh, what are some uh, perceived maybe challenges to running a aquatic campaign? Sure. Yeah. Well, the, the biggest things that come up are things like water breathing, mm -hmm. which we've already talked about, yeah, right? right? So I think, we, I think we've covered that pretty well, right? So different technologies. Yeah, races, um, magic, whatever it is. Yep. Right, exactly, yeah. Actually, one thing on that subject I wanted to bring up is the old school module, one of my favorites, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Okay. Are you guys familiar with that? Uh-uh, I'm not. Mm -mm. So, oh, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> so, yeah, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks was this bizarre um, uh, tournament module that was written where you are hired by a king because these strange creatures are showing up and destroying things. Um, and you're, there's this cave that they seem to be coming out of. The cave has this weird metal door that opens every few days and these things come out. Um, so they need you to investigate. Turns out a starship has crashed into the barrier peaks in the world of Greyhawk. Gotcha. And uh, this door is this, you know, this uh, cargo hold that periodically opens and these robots dump this, cargo out which ends up being like by you know creatures that like the bullet from or the boulet from D&D is actually originally from that module. Gotcha. It's this alien thing that got dumped out of a cargo hold, right? <laughs> so you go in and you're fighting robots and like malfunctioning androids and there's the vegapygmies which are pretty classic now in the D&D world. Those all came from from that uh, the crew all died of some disease. But there's some high-tech items that are on there, and they design these items so that when players use their out-of-player knowledge, they end up getting messed up by them. <laughs> like there's 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 a particular there's a particular weapon that looks just like a gun. It's like a bulb with like a point coming out of it. It's got like a trigger, right? It's got like this handle. And so when the players try and aim that point at somebody and squeeze the handle, they get paralyzed because the beam actually comes out of the back end, not the front end. <laughs> Awesome. So, so there are all these like uh, uh, visual like art pieces, these uh, these handouts, player handouts. There's tons of them in this thing, and you can just hand them to people and say, "What do you do with this?" And one of them looks like a TV screen, but it's actually this disruptor beam comes out of the actual screen. <laughs> so 
they're like looking at it, pressing buttons, and their head gets blown off or whatever. So it, it, oh my it's, gosh. An, it's an awesome module. If you some people hate mixing their you know sci-fi with their fantasy, but I I, I enjoy it from time that to time. Sounds awesome. <laughs> it, it's a great. It, you can find it in PDFs. I highly recommend picking it up. It's hilarious. Uh, the other like the Intellect Devour originated there. Um, I'm. Mm, I'm almost sure the Mind Flayer originated there too. There's a Mind Flayer yeah, walking around. Yeah, ship. we talked about. I think we talked about this recently on a pod about Mind Flayers and how they oh, are. They were, uh, they're one of their origins, the and one. they have a lot of origin like origin yeah. stories. But one of them is definitely that they're they're aliens. I was uh, like we were talking about Abolists before, and part of me feels like I read too that the Abolists might have been in yeah. an origin story a, a, actual aliens and. Yeah, like sure. we've been taught you've been talking about sci-fi and fantasy and like you said, some people they like some people they be playing a fantasy game and you introduce that element and they get upset cuz they're like, "Oh, my mindset right now is so fantasy. I don't want to see sci-fi, but really, why not? If you live in a if your if your world or you're using Greyhawk or whatever it is is part of a universe, then why wouldn't it make sense right. for something like this from another part of the universe to come into play. Sure, um, sure. You could even you can even do stuff down the line if you want to make like, you know, we've jumped around the timeline of like my world, and I'm assuming you're you, yeah. you've worked on a little bit of your timeline, and um, you could start with one campaign where you're old school fantasy, and then down the line do a a sci-fi game that takes place same world and. You come across things that have, you know, aquatic. It's, yeah, it's there's no there's reason lot... not to mix it unless you Absolutely. have players that just hate that idea. <laughs> I created a campaign world in which the fantasy world itself, the world itself, uh, had this dimensional property that allowed magic to work, but it was in a universe that had a sci-fi setting universe to it. So a, a ship landed on that planet. All the technology got screwed up, but the races that were on that planet all evolved into fantasy races, and it hmm. became this fantasy setting, yeah. right? So it was kind of a cross, cross genre. Anyway, the, the point, the reason why I brought that Expedition of the Barrier Peaks up is one of the pieces of device that you have in there. There's powered armor, and there's also a, a scuba outfit. It's like a self-contained aquatic outfit, right? So if you have a, a fantasy setting that you want to do something with, or a sci-fi setting, like that's a really good that how they set that up and the picture of it, and how it works in a tech setting, um, uh, can be can be good inspiration for having these you know these kind of adventures. Even again, you know, cross cross genre, so to speak. So yeah, um, and another water breathing solution. Yeah. The the biggest problem though that people tend to come up with is the idea that it's a 3D environment. Yeah. And I love the idea that they're thinking that it's a 3D environment and not just a two-dimensional environment, but it becomes an issue. Like, how do I get different depths and heights and relationships to one another? And it's fine if you have, like, one player who's flying and nobody and a, and a dragon and everybody else is on the ground. But what happens when you have, you know, 50, yeah. 50 aquatic goblins or whatever? Right. And so, and that that's probably the biggest and, and I think most valid, like, question. There are some commercial products that are designed like flying platforms. They almost look like 3D chess boards right. that you can use. Yeah. Um, I have some of those that I use both for flying and aquatic stuff, but they can be a little bit expensive. Um, you can use just classic old school stuff, stacking dice, you know what I mean? Or um, or having a dice to determine how high in the air that you happen right. to be. So you using the same size for feet. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah, you can do that. Um, you can... If you're using a system like first or second edition D&D &D or fifth edition or um, 
even some other some of the sci-fi and old school settings just you know theater the imagination yeah, just right. hand wave it right it's perfectly fine uh third pathfinder and fourth you know they're a little more keyed toward things like flanking and when when you get bonuses and all that kind of stuff so it gets it's a little tougher but in that particular situation you have cerulean seas and cerulean seas has a ton again i mentioned it before there's a ton of great ideas for things like buoyancy and and uh, how to keep track of where everybody is. But they also have, they designed their own thing. If you're handy at all, it's, uh, they have uh, templates that you can print out and create these movable platforms, okay. right? So they're kind of like the commercial platforms, but they're way cheaper. You just need some foam board and print it up and some glue and like a little dowel and whatnot. Sure. Maybe there's like a, there's like a, uh, like a, an old laundry clip you know, that you use to kind of yeah. secure the platforms or whatever. Super easy looking to use, and you can you can make a ton of those. It's a printout, so right. just like any kind of, you know, printable paper terrain, you can print out as many as you want. Um, that's been my favorite solution, to be able yeah. to, to use that. And since Cerulean Seas is a good, uh, it's a good um, source for pretty much any fantasy game, whether you're running 13th Age or anything else, just forget the system stuff, like... They did great writing in that in that game, talking about right. different environments and things that you can use. So you can pick that up. Yeah, it's definitely um, a it's definitely a something that can be daunting at first, but I think we we'd all just say, don't let that be the reason to keep you from it, and just work through right. it and fate, try different ways, try and figure it out, and find something that fits for you. And yeah, uh, and it at at the very least, if you try it and you don't like it. You can at least say you tried it. Yeah. I think anytime right. you look at the big picture of anything, really, it's going to be kind of daunting mm -hmm. to look at it. Yeah. I think if you right. just start small, like you do one one thing at first, it's like, that yeah. was really cool. You get your, your toe wet in the situation, I guess you could say. Right. And it's right. uh, it, it gets exciting. Like, I'm excited to try some of this stuff now. Yeah, I know? really like I'll, – I'll, honestly, I really like the dice idea of putting the number yeah. next to it. However, like you brought up the, what if there's 50 aquatic goblins? I don't like the dice yeah. idea anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And, and in that particular case, as a DM, you just kind of kind of roll with it. Yeah. You'd be like, all right, he's a little bit higher than you, and he's a little bit lower than you. Yeah, and, just kind of you know, leave it by. Yeah. Close enough, yeah. If you use the dice idea, actually, one of the things that we're used to in a surface game, if somebody's flying, is it's how many feet above the ground you are. But if you're using dice in an aquatic game, you should flip it around. It should be how many feet are you below the surface. Mm -hmm. Right. Because then you don't have to worry about a plus or minus of any kinds. Like yeah. there, there may or may not be, you know, a, a bottom a hundred feet below. Like mm -hmm. so, yeah. do it for the service. And and like you were saying, start start slow. Like have your shipwreck be in sixty feet of water and kind of play with it and see what it, see how it works. See yeah. how your players like it. See how you like it, and uh, kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool. Um, and then the last one is really like just this idea that. Uh, there's no surface culture like things, right? So you know how the city works, you know how the politics work, you know how those things work. Um, do you just take a city and just plop it underwater and hand wave it, right? Well, you can, in a fantasy setting, you kind of can, and Cerulean Seas talks about it, and um, uh, I talk about that one a lot, but let's talk about something else. Like, So Sword and Sorcery did a, a campaign setting called The Shattered Lands for third edition that was brilliant. They have the Blood Bayou and the Blood Sea supplements, those were great. Um, World of Darkness, we talked about. If you're doing a modern setting, they have the Rokea, which were the shape-shifting sharks. They have um, Blood Dim Tides, which is an entire uh, how-to-run aquatic settings in a modern kind of horror game. Um, so there's a lot of things. All the, Pretty much every Call of Cthulhu thing has something in it about dealing with being underwater or, or whatnot. So 
all those settings can can show you, and some of those have a lot of civilizations involved, and you can get inspired from those things. Yeah. Um, a lot of um, anime too. I've seen quite a bit of anime that deals with because uh, they love tentacles. So <laughs> a lot of aquatic, 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 aquatic setting stuff too. So you can draw inspiration from a lot of a lot of those things as well. Yeah. So yeah. So to figure out your surface like culture. So uh, uh, Rich, you've kind of talked about a little bit. Of, you've given us a lot of great resources and supplements for people who are interested in using the idea of a aquatic campaign and playing an aquatic campaign, but you've, you have compiled for us a really awesome list and we'll put that as well in the show notes. Yep. Um, but let's, let's just talk about any that you really, really feel strongly about as being really good for somebody who wants to jump in and DM an aquatic campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a bunch of entertaining films i mentioned about i'll mention mention them again here kind of in one place the the deep which is a bbc tv series i think it's on hulu right now mm-hmm. uh, i don't think netflix has it uh, i'd never heard of it it's from a few years ago it's it's about a research team going to the arctic um there was a missing submarine they're going to investigate it there's no there's no crazy fantasy there's no crazy like aliens sci-fi things going on it's really like really set in the modern day um it the 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 underwater tech is, you know, maybe a little bit advanced, but it's a it's a very cool and interesting setting with a lot of interesting problems you can put into a modern game. Uh, the Blue Planet BBC documentary, in particular, the one on the deep creatures, should inspire pretty much anybody. Right. If you want to go watch the whole the whole series is amazing, but it's I think it's twelve episodes long. Um, so find the ones that talk about the deep sea and the open ocean. Those are the two episodes that have the kind of crazy stuff that can really give you a feel of what these things are. Um, the, uh, James Cameron documentary, Aliens from the Deep. Um, if I remember correctly, what he does is he, he does some actual research with a team on a ship, but they're also, I think they brought like a xenobiologist with them, like somebody who theorizes about life on other planets. And they talk about some things about even in our own solar system, um, moons that are covered in ice that have water underneath them. How might we explore those Sure. with say, um, uh, some kind of probe of some sort. So landing on the planet, cutting through the ice with a laser, dropping an aquatic ROV under there, and then kind of seeing what we see and what may or may not be alive down there, which is some pretty cool stuff. Mm. Uh, we talked earlier about docufiction. Um, I actually enjoyed that there was a docufiction called The Last Dragon done by uh, BBC, I think. That one was fun because clearly you knew what you were getting into, right? right? Um, the one that's a little bit more borderline, but it was actually really cool. It was called Mermaids, The Body Found. Yeah, they made a big deal about that when it came out. Yeah, because you would think it would have been like The Last Dragon where you're like, yeah, dragons aren't real. This is just fun kind of theory, right? Mermaids aren't real. This is fun theory. The thing was is that the guys who put it together, the people who put it together, really presented it almost like you know, the War of the Worlds, Orson Welles they back did, in the 30s, yeah. where yeah. they terrified people. They thought it was an actual news broadcast, right? Then people who maybe, you know, feel that that might have been true, right? So the, I think it was Discovery Channel. Discovery Channel yeah, had Discovery to Channel continue it, to put yeah. out stuff that this is not real. Well, they did, yeah, they real. did like an interview afterwards with the guys who made it to like say, right. you know, this isn't necessarily true. You know? Right, exactly. But when they started um, that documentary out, it was like the first thing was like these two kids that are like poking a dead mermaid on the beach <laughs> or whatever, and then it like right. freaks out and the video stops, you know, so it's right. like, and it looks it, pretty real. It, yeah, it did, absolutely, and they presented it that way. It has some really, really interesting ideas in it. One of the things that it, it uses at the basis is a, it's a scientific theory that I personally enjoy but has been pretty thoroughly debunked called the aquatic human theory. 
it's a it's a theory based theory with the idea of like why do we why do we as primates only have hair on top of our head? Why do we only have hair like under our armpits? Why don't we have a lot of body hair in other parts of our bodies? Why do we have these little webs in between our yeah, fingers yeah. to an extent when others don't? Why can we walk on our two legs? Why can we swim and most primates sink like a rock? Like so the idea is that we started to evolve along the coasts back into a partially aquatic environment long enough that we developed some of these traits, but then we came back out again, as opposed to, say, marine mammals, which marine mammals, like, say, whales and dolphins, right, they were aquatic, came out of the water, then went back into the water again, right? So if you look at an x-ray, for example, the dolphin's uh, dorsal fin, uh, I'm sorry, pectoral fin, uh, it actually has a hand. Yeah, I've heard that. Okay. Yeah, so, so they yeah. have this five-fingered bony structure in there. There's no reason for that. There's whales that have this vestigial pelvic bone that you can see when you see, like, go to, like, a museum or whatever. It has a big, like, blue whale skeleton. You'll see this random bone just floating in the middle of nowhere connected to nothing, and it's it's this vestigial, you know, mm. pelvic bone. So um, that's what the theory is based on. Uh, scientifically, they pretty much debunked it at this point in time, but it's still interesting enough to sure. stimulate a conversation, right? Right. Um, so it's worth it's worth a watch. Um, those are kind of the filmography, really. Oh, The Abyss, of course, which I've already mentioned, James right. Cameron. Again. Um, great movie. Uh, another movie, uh, God, what's his name? Luc Besson, the guy that did The Fifth Element. Okay. He did a movie a long time ago called uh, called The Big Blue, and it was about free divers. That's an actually interesting movie as well. It kind of deals with some of the... Um, social and physical issues of free diving in open ocean. Right. Uh, that was a pretty good one. Um, as far as games are concerned, uh, I know Robin Laws just came out with something called the, Th- the Strangling Sea for 13th Age, for his 13th Age stuff. Um, it's supposed to be coming out soon, actually, so I haven't gotten a, a, a look at it yet, but that's a great kind of piratey um, kind of setting. It looks like it's set in some kind of uh, sargassum seaweed sea okay. of some sort. Uh, for Pathfinder, I've already mentioned Cerulean Seas. Pretty much, that's the number one list book to pick up. Uh, for me, there's uh, uh, The Deep, which is another book. It was put out by, I think it's Mind's Eye Games. Uh, they do a pretty good job, too, for D20 system stuff. Uh, the Blood Sea and The Blood Bayou for the Scarred Lands. I think you guys would appreciate that setting. Are you guys familiar with that setting at all? No, they sound intense, though. Well, so these particular what they in this particular setting, the gods literally fought the titans. The titans ruled the okay. world. The gods came down, killed them all. And you, if you're a druid, you actually worship the titans, and if you're clerics, you worship the gods. But one of the titans, the gods um, strapped him to the bottom of the ocean with this open wound, almost like Prometheus, right? Right. Right. Where he's just constantly regenerating, but he can't escape, and his blood is cons- constantly leaking into the surrounding water. So when you're talking about the the sea, the blood sea is not figurative. It's, it's literal. literal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like it's that. a sea. So it's diluted blood. But that blood is also mutating all of the creatures that sure. live in that particular area and affecting those creatures. Which is it's just this horrifying idea, which yeah. is pretty classic for the world of darkness, guys. That's cool. Um, blood Bayou is a is a swamp and the the settlements that live bordering on that. And then the blood sea is actually about the open sea and how to do pirates, you know, adventures and these kind of weird okay. things. That's very uh, cool. From Modern horror, World of Darkness stuff again. Blood Dim Tides, the Rokea um, support book. I think they, for some of their, um, the Henje Yokai, which was a supplement they did for an Asian setting, also had the Rokea involved. So it talks a little bit about underwater civilizations there. Uh, and the sci-fi settings, the Blue Planet, pretty much every book there. You can get them 
they keep jumping. Companies keep getting really interested in the setting, and then they don't do much with it. Right. So it's gone from Biohazard to Fantasy Flight Games to Red Brick had it. The guys who did Earth Dawn, they had it for a little while, but I guess they just gave it up. So okay. unfortunately, the PDFs are out there. Natural Selection, Ancient Echoes, First Colony, Fluid Mechanics. There's a bunch of, bunch of supplements for that. Um, Star Wars, you can just, like I said, you can just do a search for that oh, yeah. aquatic sentient species, Mass Effect. And then, you know, for all your French listeners, that uh, Polaris <laughs> aquatic setting looks really cool, but it's it's all I can tell is from, you know, Google translating the webpage right. for me much. So um, I'm interested in that. But the artwork looks really cool, and that, even that can just inspire you for a science fiction setting. That's cool. Awesome. Well, uh, that's <clears throat> that's a good list, and we'll once again, we'll put those in the show notes. Uh, but uh, so... To wrap things up, closing thoughts, Rich, do you have, uh, speaking to the listeners, let's let's yeah. take the idea that most of them have not played in aquatic campaigns, and if sure. you just had to, like, encourage them with basically just a, a short, Braveheart-like speech, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what, would you, what would you just say to them to encourage them, try this out, like, try, like, here's some ideas, we've given you all these ideas, try this out. Freedom! <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Best movie ever. Uh, <laughs> Do take it take it a little step at a time. Like I, w- I would love to encourage people to to literally jump in and just do a deep aquatic, full aquatic yeah, campaign. Right. But not everybody's going to be able to do that. Um, as a bit of inspiration, the game that I'm in right now, that I'm playing in right now, I'm actually playing a cleric of Poseidon. Um, my DM is doing a homebrew city. He set his city on a coast, and I've been able to use some of the abilities that I've tied into this cleric, like you know, water breathing and the. Alter Self Spell has this aquatic version of it now. Because we had to do, he's had these uh, hags, this hag coven. One of the hags happens to be a sea hag, and they were trying to get to some little underwater temple that was offshore. And, you know, all the players had to get in a boat and go out there, and I got to be in the water and do cool, you know, Aquaman y stuff. Right. That, that was pretty fun. Um, we've been in some sewer systems, and uh, we found a cult who was turning homeless people into Sahugan. So, it's still a fully like urban city campaign, but he's able to drop in a few little things that sure. can make it interesting for me and make the other players have to think like, Oh crap, how, how are we going to get everybody yeah. out to this underwater temple? And what are we going to do? You can do just little things like that to kind of, again, shake up the environment of what it is that you're, that you're playing. And yeah. it's, it, it can be just, it can be just that easy. So many, so many monsters for a fantasy game, you know, listen in your monster manual, pick one that sounds cool and, just make a little, even just a scenario around it. Sure. It doesn't even have to be even a full adventure night. Sure. Right? So you can do it. It's very cool. Get some fresh, fresh material for your players. For your new players, it'll be fascinating. For your older players, they won't know what's happening. It'll be great. <laughs> That's awesome. Chris, any uh, any thoughts about aquatic campaigns? I'm and... excited to do it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, this is exciting for me. Yeah, I, uh, I, th- I think that it's a good thing for... DMs to to try out. I'm I've got all these ideas running around my head right now that I would love as a player to be introduced by a DM. Uh, I would love like the up. Uh, I would love. You mentioned uh, druids, and I was like, druids like you're gonna change into all different kinds of animals now in an aquatic campaign. Yeah, that opens up a whole different way to play a druid, which is amazing. Um, I love the idea of also mounts, different kinds of mounts, riding a shark. Like in my world, Vatos. Uh, there's a, a god who has uh, his clerics all ride on sharks, and I'm like, I've thought like I'd love to use that one day, and I I I have not done a full aquatic campaign, 
It is not that I have not taken that uh, that <laughs> plunge yet, but uh, I would I would love to, and that's uh, you know just all these all these things. I love the whole Kraken that dead Kraken, and there's a yeah making a it civilization a... inside of that amazing. So yeah. I just like there are so many great ideas we've shared on this podcast, and and there's way there's millions of other ideas that uh, you as the listeners can I'm sure come up with and. We would love to hear your stories, as always. And if you if this is something that you've done before, or this is something now you're inspired to do, please let us know and share with us. And I'm sure uh, Rich would also love to hear um, uh, your stories. Rich, did you want to throw out like a contact, any contact information, or? Yeah, absolutely. You can you can contact me through uh, at rich at richhowardauthor.com. That's my main website. Um, rich at gameschangelives.com should also work, but they're kind of connected websites. Um, you might be able to connect me, connect with me through, um, Tribality as well, but I'm not sure if Sean set something up. So you can do either one of those. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm living in the modern world. So, uh, <laughs> Google plus yeah. you're on there too. So yeah, let, yeah, Google plus. Absolutely. Let Rich know about your amazing aquatic adventures and campaigns that you've played, or just, you know, shoot him an email and tell him, Hey, thanks for coming on the dungeon master block and i'm gonna check out your uh your articles and i'm gonna do an aquatic pain campaign now so i'm sure if you, that have, you, would love if to you have if you have requests as well like people have, have actually shot me ideas that they want to do they want to see aquatic versions of certain things or older races that haven't been converted to fifth or other things shoot them my way man i'll add them to my conversion list and you'll, you'll get it as soon as i can make it give rich more work to do <laughs> yeah hey rich awesome. we just really want to thank you so much for being on the show uh, this is going to be an amazing episode, and we just uh, thank you for uh, spending your time with us and uh, sharing all of your ideas and your expertise. So absolutely, it was it was my pleasure. I, I love your guys' podcast, and uh, <laughs> I'm I'm excited to hear more about. Uh, I really want to get more people exploring this environment, bringing some freshness to their games in, yeah. in an interesting way. Well, I think you did a good job. So yeah, thanks, cool. Rich. Yeah, you bet. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed. This episode of the Dungeon Masters Block, where we got to talk about aquatic campaigns with Rich Howard. Be sure to go and check out our show notes and check out uh, the many places and the many all the content that Rich has put online for players and DMs alike to check out. Conversions, articles, exactly. All that stuff, yeah. If you wish to contact him, we'll have his email up there for that as well. He's very open to hearing from you. Uh, the listeners. And like you said, he wants to hear if you've done aquatic campaign stuff. So exactly. shoot, him, shoot him over some emails. So so we just, once again, we just thank him for being on the show. It was a great time. We had a lot of fun. And we'll definitely be having him back. If you also want to contact us, you can find us at our email, dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up there. We've gotten some really good conversations going with some people right now. Uh, excited to hear how your campaigns are going, stories, ideas, all that stuff there. If you would be so kind, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You'll get a shout-out at the beginning of each episode. Uh, not the beginning of each episode. <laughs> That'd but, be crazy. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning of an episode, in one of our future episodes, you will get a, a, uh, a plug for your shout-out. You can also find us on Stitcher. We've been getting some activity on there, so you can find us there. Mitch, where else can they find us? Uh, follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's DMs block. And also like our Facebook page. But until next time, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. 
lowering them to the depths. Ooh. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on dungeoning.